Welcome to the Essence of Health Tea Time Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Shayla Toombs-Withers. As a double board certified family and obesity medicine physician with over 12 years of experience in medicine, I teach motivated individuals how to achieve their desired quality of life while preventing and reversing chronic diseases. It's tea time. What part of your health journey is most challenging? Is it the actual effort of sticking to a plan? The cooking and the meal planning? The exercise routine? Not enough time for everything you think you need to do? Or the confusion of it all? If you said yes to any of these obstacles, then keep listening to learn how you can smash these problems just by checking your email. You check your email inbox every day already, but what if checking your inbox brought you better health instead of the stress it sometimes can bring? Well, I have news for you. You can improve your health, get a jump start on improving your health conditions, and start to feel like a better version of you just by checking your email inbox over the next five days when you join the free Nourish and Flourish five-day challenge. You'll get health tips, actionable videos, a goal and habit tracker, and healthy recipes every day for five days. Better health is the best investment you'll ever make, and this is only a small investment of your time. You have nothing to lose but everything to gain. The Nourish and Flourish 5-Day Challenge was designed to set the foundation for healthy habits for life. Say yes to yourself today and sign up now at drshayla.com forward slash NF challenge. I'll also place these details in the show notes. The essence of health is in you. See you in your inbox. On today's episode of the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast, I have a special guest, Dr. Funke Afalabi Brown. Dr. Afalabi Brown is a triple board certified sleep medicine physician and pediatric pulmonologist. She is a speaker, consultant, and founder of Restful Sleep MD. She helps high achieving women and their children improve their sleep to move from being drained and exhausted to thriving in their families, careers, and personal relationships. She achieves this through her clinical practice, coaching, speaking, and consultation with organizations. She is a best-selling author and has been featured on various media outlets, including ABC. So welcome to the show, Dr. Afalabi Brown. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. And so I'm excited to talk about sleep because, you know, we talk about so many other things related to our health. And I just feel like sleep is one of those things that we commonly even forget how important it is. So I'm I'm happy to have you chat about this. So let's just start by having you tell us what are some of those common sleep complaints that you may even see on your practice within adults? Yes. So, you know, there's quite a wide range of sleep problems that adults, young adults and, you know, children, their parents complain of. And I think I I kind of group it into a few categories, three categories, actually. They're usually behavioral sleep complaints. And the reason why we call that kind of behavioral is not that they have bad behavior but it's more of like the habits around sleep so around things like either not getting sufficient sleep 
either because of, you know, habits like, you know, spending time on electronic devices or, you know, in women, especially that I work with excessive time on their phones at bedtime, the, you know, the popular revenge bedtime procrastination, or it could be things like the work demands, right? So they're finishing up work or, you know, they had caffeine and they're not able to sleep. So all those things are sort of under that category of behavioral issues. And so that may be because either uh, intentionally or unintentionally, something else displaced sleep. Right. Uh, And then the second category is sort of more of the sort of sleep conditions or medical conditions that can impact your sleep. So we're talking things like sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome, uh, things like insomnia, right? Insomnia is really a very common condition in women. It's actually more common in women than in in men. And so all that ends up doing is even if there's sleep opportunity, there's for one reason or the other, either because you're getting frequent interruptions in your sleep or you're in, unable to achieve sleep, your total sleep is short. So that's the second category. And then the third are kind of things that are sort of present during the day, present in our lives that gets in our way of sleep. So in such cases, it would be, you know, anxiety or depression or ADHD or stress. Those things are present, right? But at night, they just kind of have their own manifestations. So I would say those are the sort of three broad categories of sleep issues. And then, you know, people may fall into all three. That's when it gets yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. most, a lot of children, I see a lot of the behavioral and sometimes the medical in women, I see sometimes a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense, especially, you know, I know part of what you do is with high achieving women. And yeah. as we know, you know, you and I being physicians, there are <laughs> many of us who stay up late at night, just charting, you know, mm-hmm. and is is work that has to be done. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times patients don't even realize, you know, that extra mm-hmm. time that we've spent just making sure that we told their story correctly <laughs> and into their mm-hmm. chart. Yeah, and those things can definitely affect your performance the next day. An analogy I like to even tell my patients is I'm a mom of three. And so I have three boys. And so I think about, you know, those times when they were little toddlers and at times where, you know, you may be somewhere and they just kind of fall out and they are just grumpy. And no matter what you do, you just can't get it right. And it's usually because of sleep. And it's like, well, you know, this time they always love the red popsicle, but this time it was the blue one they wanted. And it was really, you know, they were sleepy and they are, you know, just crying and crazy. And we do the adult version of that. We just can't get it right that next day when you haven't had proper sleep. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So that is so, is- that is such a par- true analogy. I feel, I always say that we're like that kid in the candy store who wants this giant popsicle and the mom says no, except we're not thrashing on the floor, but we are exhausted. And it affects our performance the next day. And so, like you said, you know, especially if you're for physicians or people in the medical field who may need to do charting, you may notice that when you're exhausted, even though you feel like you're doing the best you can, your performance is slower. So you may end up needing more time to chart. You may end up having issues with focus. So it's a vicious cycle because you were short on sleep because you were finishing up work. Now you're short on sleep because you're finishing off work because it's just harder for you to right, really keep it up took you even longer pace. because of that yeah ah, yeah yeah mm-hmm. that, that makes a lot of sense yeah yeah mm-hmm. and then even beyond those grumpy toddlers what are some of the things that parents come to you with with concerns about their children and their sleep 
Yeah, so a lot of kids with sleep anxiety, they want their parents there, they fight sleep. It's uh, it's almost like a war zone at bedtime. And that into the, eats into the parents, especially mom sleep as well. You feel just so drained and exhausted after putting them to bed. Yeah. And so, you know, those are those are really common behavioral complaints we see, but it, see how it really can affect the family's dynamics. So you may have a child who either A, wants the parent to be there to fall asleep, and so then they're waking up frequently at night, needing the parents again. So I'm hearing, you know, you've put your child to bed and it's 11 p.m. And all of a sudden you're hearing those pitter-patter, you know, steps as they come back to your room. And so you guys are walking back and forth. Or eventually the, the parents are like, you know what, I can't deal with this anymore. And so ch child joins you in bed and is tossing all night long, kicking. They just have this interesting way they sleep. So your sleep is broken through the night. So that's a very common one I see. So that's really what we call, you actually categorize it as behavioral insomnia of childhood. And it's a major contributor to parents' sleep as well. And then sometimes you may have things like nightmares. You may have things like sleep terrors. Uh, you, you know, I have sleepwalkers where the, the child just gets up and leaves the house in some situations. So that's also something that's really scary. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have the medical things, right? Like sleep apnea is, I mean, it's it's not as common overall in a, in children, but I think it's just under-recognized. And so a child snoring and also feeling tired when they wake up in the morning and having difficulties with focus or attention or behavior mm -hmm. is something that you may want to check out because it might be a sign of sleep apnea. So those are just some of the, the common right. conditions. Right. Another group that I'm really, I really find very fascinating is children with neurodevelopmental conditions right if you have a, if you're a parent of a child with autism or ADHD or a child who's just neurodiverse for one reason or the other that's another group that's it's extremely common for them to have in fact studies have shown up to 75 percent of those kids have sleep issues and oh, so wow. those parents are exhausted they are drained you know and right. so that's also another group that uh, that I tend to see um, relatively frequently wow I was not aware of that statistic even myself and and that yeah. works two ways because if the yeah. parents already you know been exhausted from that child having sleep issues then the yeah. challenge of having you know a neurodivergent child during the daytime and addressing yeah. those things yeah so for mm -hmm. the parent yeah that that can really be a challenge there mm -hmm. and sleep apnea amongst children is is something even and, you know, as a family doctor, I'm seeing a bit more of just from childhood mm -hmm. obesity. So I don't know, you know, if you maybe seen a little bit more of that too. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's definitely been, been an uptick in that. Uh, risk factors, obesity is one of them. For children too, apart from obesity, one even more common risk factor is um, enlarged tonsils and adenoids, which is why we often have these children seen by ear, nose and throat colleagues, because, you know, taking out their tonsils and adenoids usually tends to help. Children who are obese, even with that category, if they have sleep apnea, our first step would be to get a sleep study first to quantify the severity of their sleep apnea, and then usually what we'll do is still refer them to ENT, especially if they have enlarged tonsils, but right. they 
may have a higher risk of having residual sleep apnea, meaning that just the surgery in and of itself may not completely fix it. But we still use that because quite a large percentage end up resolving their sleep apnea with that. So we may end up needing other treatment options after surgery. Like, of course, weight loss is always a big one. Uh, in some situations, we may need to put them on CPAP, which tends to be fun, a young child. But, you know, we're able to get that done successfully with um, behavioral strategies and things things like that to get them used to it. Awesome. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Now with all of that in mind, when should an individual, you know, actually seek the help of someone like you, whether that be an adult or for their child? Yeah. You know, so I often say that poor sleep is a symptom the same way you may have a fever or you may start coughing is a symptom of something going on. And so, you know, we all have those bad days, right? Where you've been stressed or bad seasons, right? Something happens in the family, in your home, loss of a loved one, something of that sort where you just have really crappy sleep and then things bounce back. That is completely normal and it's expected. But if you're at the point where you are really struggling with sleep and it's been for months and you are really having a hard time functioning during the day. And even if it's not been for months, but your perception of how it's impacting your health and well-being is, is poor, then you don't need to struggle for months before you seek help. And usually what I recommend, of course, is, you know, speak with your physician to make sure, you know, some of these things may be, there may be low hanging foods. They may be able to provide you with some tips to help improve your sleep, some habits and things like that. But if you feel like you're at the point where you're still struggling, then that would be a time. And so some of the complaints that really has patients, whether adults or children show up in my practice is poor sleep for either difficulties falling asleep, difficulties staying asleep or waking up early. So that's usually one category. So that's usually a sign of either insomnia or something of that sort or poor sleep quality. And how do we see that? I wake up feeling exhausted, even though I'm getting what sounds seems to be the recommended number of hours of sleep. I'm still waking up tired. I'm sleepy during the day or, you know, my child is waking up tired and is sleepy during the day or my child, even for children, it gets very tricky because sometimes they're not sleepy. They're hyperactive. And so they're overstimulated, they're overactive. And so you may start to see those things and you can link it to sleep. In some situations, I've had even school counselors or teachers say, you know what, parents, you got to take your child to see a sleep specialist because something is going on. So if you're seeing that, you definitely need to make an appointment to see a sleep specialist. And another condition is narcolepsy, which again, that's also, I feel like it's grossly under-recognized. And that's when you have just uncontrollable urges to sleep, meaning that you've gotten sufficient sleep at night and you are still so sleepy throughout the day. You're falling asleep in different places. And then, you know, sometimes you may have some other symptoms related to that, like poor loss of tone suddenly with um, excitement and things like that. So that's one as well, where, and and the reason why it's so under-recognized is it's common in, again, usually starts around that those teen years and goes all the way to adulthood. And studies have shown that the time to diagnosis could be as long as 10 years. Oh, wow. And that's a condition. It's a lifelong condition. Right, and think how much they've suffered through. Yeah, yeah, because what have they suffered through? During their teen years, they're 
they're tagged as lazy. Like, why is he sleeping so much? He must be lazy. Or they're masking their symptoms with caffeine, right? Mm -hmm. And then in, you know, as they get older, you know, they're tagged as being depressed or anxious. So they've gone down that psych, psychiatry, mental health route for the longest time, but they can't hold a job because they're falling asleep on the job or they're getting into road traffic accidents. So they go through all of that before they eventually, hopefully someone eventually says something is wrong. This is not just a mood issue, right? And then they make up their way to see us where we then do the testing, which a little bit, it's a bit more extensive, but you know, the medications, the treatment strategies can be life-changing, right? It can move from a completely out of control condition to something that's well-managed. And then, you know, they can start to get their life back. Yeah. Yeah. If you're frustrated with your weight, taking more medications than you'd like to, have been told that you are at risk for the development of a chronic preventable disease, or just are not feeling in the best of health, then I'm talking to you. Why? Because you're tired of fat dieting. You know it's time for a change and you want a sustainable plan to improve your health. If you have found yourself at this place in life, well, I have developed a program that's just for you. It's called The Essence of Health and it's your prescription for transformation. My goal with this program is to give you the tools needed to create sustainable lifestyle changes within a group coaching setting, along with one-to-one individualized coaching to give you a personalized path to health that's just for you. The benefits are priceless. So join today. Head on over to eohcoaching.com to learn more. The essence of health is in you. And so I'm going to ask you the magic question because I'm always asked this question, (laughs) but you're the sleep specialist. So how much sleep should we be getting every night? That's, I like that question. (laughs) (laughs) So the needs, the the sleep needs vary with age. Um, The National Sleep Foundation and the American Academy of Sleep Medicine has recommendations, which shows that from, you know, from infancy, for instance, the newborn period, you need about 14 to 17 hours of sleep. And then, you know, children, about one to two toddlers, about 12 to 16. Uh, And then about school-age children need anywhere from, usually we'll say about nine to 11 hours. Teenagers need eight to 10. And then our adults uh, need about seven to nine hours of sleep. And then our older adults, like say over 65, for instance, need anywhere from about six to eight hours. So you can see that as you get older, the the total amount of sleep sort of decreases, but you know overall we are under we are an underslept population. So no right. matter where you are, most people yeah. are not getting enough sleep. Right. Um, but beyond the quantity, again, is what you and I spoke about, is to make sure that you are getting good quality sleep. Because honestly, I would rather you get six hours of sound and solid sleep than nine hours of crappy broken sleep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so getting back to children, there have been some studies more recently coming out about, you know, maybe changing the times of school starting for especially, you know, those teens and adolescents uh, because of the, some of the behavioral things that you may see from lack of sleep. And so just tell us more about how these sleep challenges can affect the behavior and the performance of children. Yeah, so I think the system in the U.S. just has it backward. Because what we have 
what we know physiologically is that when children reach that period of adolescence, they have a delay in their internal clock or their circadian rhythms. So they are unable to fall asleep earlier. And so you may find out your 13 year old who used to go to bed very nicely at maybe 8.30 is now fighting sleep and at 10 p.m. just seems to have all the energy. And it's not necessarily their fault. This is physiology. They just have this shift and they go to bed later and then they wake up later. That's what their bodies naturally want to do. And so even if you, they try to go to bed early, they may be unable to sleep. And then they have to wake up early because school starts at, you know, 7 a.m., 7.30. So they're being cut short at both ends. And so they have decreased sleep. They're just not able to make up and get enough sleep. And adolescent brain is a period of very rapid growth. So that impacts their development. That impacts their learning. It impacts their mood. It impacts their health in so many ways. And so, and then what do they do? On the weekends, they try to catch up because they're so exhausted, they're so sleep deprived. And so they all try to catch up by overshooting their sleep time. And so now they're going to wake up at 12 noon or 1 p.m. And a lot of a lot of parents who have teenagers can't testify, right? They just sleep in because they're trying to follow their natural rhythm. And then they're trying to make up because they're sleep deprived. But then it lasts only two days. And then by Monday, they're trying to come back again. So think of that like having what we call social jet lag. So it's as if you're traveling across time zones on the weekends. You know how you feel with time zone change. Your body's still Mm -hmm. trying to get adjusted to the new social time. And then even before you get a chance to do that, you're right back to where you're coming from again. And then you're doing this every week. And so it is very disruptive for their sleep quality. It causes a lot of mood, behavioral, you know, mental health challenges for these kids. They have troubles focusing. And most kids that I see, most middle school teenagers are sleeping through the first periods, like completely, you know, and, you know, I was speaking to a a school superintendent recently and he was saying it to, he's like, yeah, like when I visit those schools early in the morning, many of them just have their heads on the table. Like they are just checked out. They can't, they don't have that ability because they're, they're being asked to learn at a point where they are most sleepy. And so, and then the other part of that also is not just their mood and their health, is safety, physical safety. So many of these kids may already be driving or learning to drive. And so there's such a high rate of car accidents and things like that, especially in the mornings because they're still so sleepy. And so you can tell that it impacts them in so many levels. Yeah. And the ideal would be for them, our middle school, high school kids, to start school later. You know, it's not their fault. We're fighting physiology. So let's start school later so that they are learning, they're waking up, they're doing all those things at a time that is better synchronized with their bodies. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes a lot of sense. And we are seeing where, where some of the schools are, are starting a bit later because of that, which is really good. But then, then you have kids who may be in sports and other things. Mm-hmm. And then the coaches are calling the practices earlier to get yeah. it in before school. And so, yeah. yeah, yeah. It makes it really tough for these poor kids. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it's a work in progress. Like you said, more and more schools are making those changes, but it's not, it's not like it's not coming at a cost in that sense, but yeah. You know, I think the bottom line is let's step back. Who's the most important in this picture? Is it the coaches? Is it getting them on the sports? Of course, which is very helpful for them too. But 
how about their health like things that we know that will impact their health on the short term and on the long term um, exercise is absolutely valuable and helpful for them but sleep is is just as critical yeah yeah it is because even exercise uh, you can promote more injuries and inflammation yeah. without yeah. that lack of sleep and that lack of recovery time too exactly so, yeah exactly. yeah so with all of this in mind what are your top three tips for helping children to get better sleep yeah so I would say my number one tip for helping children get good sleep is consistency the reason why is we have this master clock or circadian rhythm or internal clock that controls pretty much most of the systems in our body. And it runs on a 24 hour schedule. And a lot of times we hear about, you know, the role of melatonin and things like that. It's all coordinated by that circadian system. And so when it's dark outside, your brain is signaled to, to start to produce that melatonin, the sleep hormone, right? So now, apart from the light, dark piece of things, in the morning, when we wake up, we sort of reset that clock all over again. Otherwise, things will just start shifting because our circadian clock is a little bit longer than the, it's a little bit longer than the 24 hour cycle. So when you have that consistency in your bedtime and your wake up time, it's almost like you're anchoring your, your system and pressing reset every morning. And so for our kids, that's really important. The other reason why that's important is because our children are, and us as well, we're creator, we're, we're creatures of habits and schedules and consistency. And children thrive on things that are predictable, even though they beg to differ, it, it is, you know? So that's one, the consistency. The second I would say is having a routine. And so, you know, as babies, we have, you know, we, we give them, you know, you may give them a bottle, then you, you know, you have a bath and you sing to them and you put them in their cribs. And that also signals or cues our bodies to say, to let us know that it's time to sleep. And it does the same for our children. And the thing I would say is, especially as kids get older and they start to fight back at bedtime, let them be part of that routine. Let them decide like, okay, what do you want to do first? Uh, you don't like brushing your teeth just before bed. Okay, let's start with your brush, like the the, the unpleasant parts of your routine first, or you get to pick what PJs you want. You want the blue one, you want the red one, you know? So mm -hmm. having them engage in that, it literally helps to cue their bodies for sleep. And then I would say the third thing to do is that you should, there's so many good ones. I would, for children specifically, is just be mindful of the light. So light is another thing that our, systems respond to very vigorously and for children electronic devices tv all those things release this sort of wide range of spectrum of light including blue 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 length um, frequency so that blue light we talk about a lot and so what that does is it suppresses the melatonin because the brain's receptors don't know when it's daytime when it's natural light or artificial light your brain just sees light and says, okay, melatonin needs to be shut off. So right. limiting exposure to those screens about 30 to 60 minutes before bed is very beneficial. And actually, I would say is actually children are more sensitive to light because their cornea is, um, is much more transparent. So light comes in 
they absorb that like much more than an adult, for instance. So that's another one that I would say, just be mindful of. Um, the blue, apart from just the blue light stimulating effects you get, is just that increased excitement and arousal that our kids can get from using devices before bed. And you want them winding down, not right, winding up. Not having their brain still worked up on that video. <laughs> exactly. game. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Those are great. Those are great. And then one other uh, thing I like to do with my own kids are sleep stories. We use the mm-hmm. Calm app and they have, you know, kid-friendly sleep stories. Mm-hmm. And like I said, mm-hmm. I have little boys and one that they love is Transformers. And it it is not like exciting, you know, watching the show Transformers mm-hmm. is actually like about the transformers talking about like construction and building stuff and so it's like that's the awesome. most boring thing ever if you would just listen to it but but it helps mm-hmm. them fall asleep i love it that is so yeah. good i use it for my adult clients not so much for the kids but i think that is beautiful again it's what will not necessarily bore them like with their to the point of frustration but it's pleasant right. and exactly. then I'm sure now yeah. they anticipate their, their brains exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah so that's really yeah. good that's awesome and then piggybacking off of that now for the adults what three tips would you give I would say for adults again it's really working on that consistency I'm not I don't push too much for the bedtime piece although that would be great because when you set your bedtime and set your wake up time you can be sure that you at least have the sleep opportunity you need but if you feel like especially as a mom and you've been pulled in so many directions and now you know the kids are asleep now you're trying to do the dishes and maybe you're a doctor you're trying to finish charts you know all that stuff you know somebody has to do it right I mean, if you can set boundaries to make sure you're done at a certain time so that you give yourself enough time to go to sleep, I think that would be ideal. But even if you have to say, you listen, I just need one tip, I would say is waking up at the same time. So no matter how crappy the night was, wake up at the same time. Because what that does is it gives your brain that predictability and that ability to anticipate sleep for the next night. And once you wake up, use light to your advantage. So if you're someone who has a hard time waking up in the morning, exposing yourself to natural light, everybody should, even our kids. So expose yourself to natural light, go, you know, open up the windows, step outside, go for a walk. All those things are really, really important to set us up for better sleep the following night. And then for women specifically, uh, one thing that gets in their way of sleep, when I do a poll, I hear a lot is mind drama and of course the bedtime, revenge bedtime procrastination, which is just that we need to have some me time, but that me time now eats into your own personal sleep time because you're like, okay, I'll just watch one show. And then that one show becomes the entire series, right? right? And then you're like- Start binging. (laughs) Start binging. And then it's like 1 a.m. and you're pissed off because you have to wake Mm -hmm. up early, right? So setting boundaries, creating moments of stillness during the day will make you feel like you fed yourself and you filled your cup so that you're not depriving yourself of sleep to be able to achieve that during the day. And then I would say the in terms of the mind drama, one of the things well, that will lead me to the third tip, which is use your bed for sleep and sex and try to avoid doing other things. So if your bed is becoming the place where you worry, the place where you're finishing your charts or your notes, the place where you're answering emails or you're arguing with your spouse or, you know, you're doing all those things, 
it then causes a lot of um, sort of confusion with our brains when we try, try to sleep because your brain's like, well, what are we doing right now? Are we going to sleep or going to argue or <laughs> watch another episode, right? So really trying to make sure that non-sleep related activities are done outside of the bed. I would say that's it. And then follow the, whatever you're doing for your children, you do it yourself as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are great. Those are really great tips there too. Now, and last but not least, you know, we hear so much about supplements and folks are always wondering, you know, what can I take that, you know, maybe I don't have to necessarily get a prescription for that can be helpful for sleep. I know, you know, a lot of people think about melatonin, but what are some of those that you may recommend for some of your patients? And, you know, I'll give this caveat for our audience. This is not medical advice for you personally. You should definitely go see your doctor, but yeah, but what are some of those things that you usually discuss with your patients? So I would say the first place to start is figuring out why, right? It's the same thing. What's your why? Like, why you, why do you need melatonin? Because if you need melatonin, because you, I don't know, you wake up too early or you wake up multiple times at night, it wasn't really designed for that. Melatonin is a, you know, is a hormone that our brains produce, right? It's a natural sort of, it's, it's, it's marketed as a supplement, but it's an actual hormone. And so your brain is capable of making sufficient melatonin, but sometimes the timing may be off. And what it really just does is it cues your brain. It's almost like a, a flush to say, it's time to start getting ready for bed. It's not necessarily the best hypnotic in the sense that it's not going to knock you out. It helps with shifting your circadian rhythm so that your brain knows it's time for bed. So using it, and then and you have to also know that your brain's natural melatonin production is regulated by light exposure. So if you are using melatonin and you have your tablet or your iPad or your iPhone in front of you, bathing yourself in blue light, you're just canceling the effect. So again, it's coming back to your why. And I would rather we deal with the root cause before we embark on supplements. That being said, if you do want to use melatonin, if for instance, you're a shift worker or you have like jet lag because you're traveling and so the timing you're supposed to sleep compared to when your body naturally produces melatonin is off, it's absolutely fine to use it. If you have things like what we call delayed sleep phase syndrome, where your body's just not able to, you feel like you're a night owl extra, right? You're not able to fall asleep. Using melatonin has been shown to be helpful. And when it comes to the use of melatonin, list is more or less is more. So zonking yourself with 10 milligrams of melatonin may not necessarily be the best and it may end up causing more side effects like nightmares, daytime drowsiness. Some people do have sleep talking and walking and things like that. And so using the minimum amount, because the amount that our brain produces that is able to help us maintain sufficient sleep is so small. So maybe like a half a milligram or one milligram, especially if what you're doing is with relation to making sleep, your schedule changes to help you fall asleep sooner. Now, if you have things like, you know, jet lag or... Uh, or shift work, you may need slightly higher dosing. And again, just like you said, this is why taking it with the help of your physician and direction of your physician is important because you might actually be using it in such a way that it can make your sleep worse. Mm -hmm. Another supplement that I usually recommend too is magnesium. Magnesium is a mineral that's found in the soil. It's found in most foods that we eat, except that the soil that our foods are are produced in nowadays is deficient in magnesium. So we're not getting enough magnesium. And it's been shown to be helpful with the production, sort of the pathway 
to melatonin production. There's a, you know, there's an enzyme called GABA that it helps with sort of promoting the effect of and things like that. And so it can help with that. It can help with cramps, aches and pains. It helps with headaches. It's kind of like the wonder, wonder supplement. Right. So many things, right? That we use it for. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So that's something that you can consider, even for people who have like restless leg syndrome and cramps, it's been shown to be effective as well. So that's another one that I, those are the two, you know, carefully using melatonin, considering magnesium. Um, those are the two main ones I I, I recommend um, if needed, but on the background of what is your why, right? Because you don't want to be on that forever if you can help it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I love that you pointed out that, you know, mm. the important piece there is still having that routine and those other mm. tips that we talked about and not just saying, oh, now I'm going to go pop this pill mm. now and Instagram for the rest of the night and then wonder <laughs> why I'm not sleeping. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been fun talking about sleep. And so I hope people are listening to this and understand that, yeah, go to bed, get some sleep. And so Dr. Afala, Bobby Brown, how can my audience connect with you for more tips and resources and coaching even on sleep? Yes. Thanks again for having me. So I'm on Instagram. Uh, don't go scrolling at night. Just uh, try to do it early in the day. Exactly. At Restful Sleep MD on Instagram and also on my website at uh, www.restfulsleepmd.com. And so some of these tips we shared, I have a free download that you could just grab and really start working on your sleep today. And then if you want to do a deeper dive, then, um, you know, if you go on my website, you can schedule a free discovery call to just kind of talk through what's going on with your sleep as a woman, as a mom who's doing everything right, but not really able to get the sleep she needs. And then interestingly enough, I'm actually starting my own practice, the Restful Sleep Place. And so it's a virtual practice. So for people who live in Pennsylvania and New Jersey right now, I'm, I'm starting to schedule. So if you want to join my wait list, it's also at restfulsleepmd.com. So those are ways to work with me. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. And I'll put all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening, you can just take a look at the show notes and grab that sleep tip worksheet for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me today on the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Click the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss a moment of the Essence of Health Tea Time podcast. Check out the show notes to obtain your free tips for healthy living guide to get you started on your health and wellness path. Follow me on social media at Essence of Health Wellness Clinic on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, and at dr.tw at eohwc on TikTok. Interested in becoming a member of the Essence of Health Coaching Program? Well, head on over to www.eohcoaching.com. The essence of health is in you.